All right. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. If you have them. Matthew chapter 18. Glory to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all of these, your children, who have come here to this humble place to worship you, to gather together as you've instructed us to do, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some have done and gone shipwrecked. So we don't want to shipwreck, Lord. We want to be right in the center of your will and protection and provision for our lives. So help us to hear your voice clearly, to grow in our relationship with you, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help me today, Lord, to be used of you. Thank you for the precious anointing. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the seed that we will impart today that will go into good ground and take root and bear fruit in the lives of these, your precious children. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew 18, starting in the 10th verse. Jesus speaking. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Talking about all believers, really. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. I'm going to stop right there for a second. You know that you have angels assigned to you? Hebrews chapter 1 in verse 14 it says that they minister to us or on our behalf. It actually says, are they not, speaking of angels, all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who will be heirs of salvation? That's you folks. Isn't that awesome? Not just a nice song that we sing. Rooms full of angels. I always talk about my two big bookends here. I don't have to see them to know that they're there. God's word says so. Amen. I want to read with you Psalm 91 real quick. Seems like I've been pointing people in this direction for the past week. And it uh, helps. It's been an interesting week. I had my full-time job that I do, but I've been doing the full-time minister that I am, mostly, this week. So, I didn't go to bed until... You should have called me, Don, last night. I was up... <laughs> Sat and talked with grown men, break down in tears this week, and uh, others who probably wanted to and didn't. Maybe they should have talked to all kinds of people, from little to large, <laughs> or young to old, I should say. <laughs> Psalm 91, he who dwells, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you, I encourage you to put your name in there, from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. 
He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you'll find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. He will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent, or no plague shall come nigh your dwelling. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. They will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. We have angels that minister on our behalf. They don't take orders from us, so don't go praying to angels and things like that. But they are there, and they're there for your good, amen? And you know who they're there for? You know who they work on behalf of? I mean, they're there for you, of course. But you notice there's a part for us to play, just like in every part of this word. It's all about a relationship with God. You ever been in a one-sided relationship? Kind of sucks, don't it? It calls upon the believer to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. So that we may benefit from the ministry of the angels that he has in charge over us. So it's a combination of our faith and his faithfulness that releases angels on our behalf. Ephesians chapter 8 says that we, we receive grace by faith. Grace is everything that Jesus has provided through the atonement of the cross. So we speak faith and praise. The Bible says God inhabits the praise of his people. Another place it says he will replace a spirit of heaviness. How many have you ever, have ever suffered from a spirit of heaviness? Some might call it depression. I didn't know so many liars in here. <laughs> Maybe you thought it was a rhetorical question. No, I'm kidding. I don't want to see a show of hands. I think we all have at one time or another. Amen. It says, He will replace the spirit of heaviness with a garment of praise. That's another way of saying, How do I run off? This spirit of heaviness. I'll praise the Lord. And run off that devil. So we speak faith. We praise God. We behold the Father's face. As they do. Because we've taken our shelter in the shadow of the Most High. Underneath his wings. You have to picture yourself in the arms of God. You have to begin to see the things that are in the spiritual realm, as Don was sharing. I love how people come to me and they're so excited about these new teachings they've found, and it's the same stuff I've been preaching for years. Every week I'm like, Lord, anybody listening? That, that teaching there, you've already got it. 
I told Andrew, I think you stole that from me. The only problem is you you wrote yours a, lo- a long time before I knew the Lord. <laughs> oh, when I met him, I told him, I said, you, I said, you, you hadn't shown me anything that God didn't already show me. You just helped me to articulate it. Plus, it showed me there was somebody else out here that believed the same way. I was getting, I was getting really lonely. I was looking for somebody who would take the word literal, and I found them. Amen. Amen. And I found out there's a whole bunch of us out there. People hungry for the real Jesus. Amen. Not religion. So we do our part. He's faithful to do his part. Amen. But do you believe it? Good question. <laughs> I turned off to where I was. I was in Matthew 18. I want to keep reading from that little passage of Scripture. I read chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. I want to start at 12. He said, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Glory. Hallelujah. God loves you. But do you believe it? I know it seems basic. I know it seems simple, and it bugging you that I keep asking you that. Do you believe it? But the fact that God loves you is one of the greatest truths in the Bible and the hardest to comprehend for most of us. Mm-hmm. The fact that we are objects of God's amazing, unconditional, undeniable love. And really, without understanding spirit, soul, and body, you'll really never fully comprehend it. And you'll always be trying to earn a relationship with God. And then you'll run from Him when you don't feel like you've measured up. You have to learn, you have to find out What happened when you were born again? That you really did become a new creation. That you are a spirit with a soul or personality riding around in a body. He sees you after the spirit. John 4.24 says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what he told the woman at the well. And in the spirit, he either sees Adam, fallen, corrupted seed of man... Or he sees Jesus. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, all the ugly is gone in God's eyes. He sees pure gold when he looks at you. Everything Jesus has done has been credited to your account. It's not, why does he love us? You ever ask your significant other, why do you love me? Why? I have a preacher friend that he kept asking, he struggles with terrible insecurity, just like most people do. He kept asking his wife, why though? Why do you love me? Finally, she got tired of it. She just said, because you're mine. I tell you, that's the same reason God loves you. Not out of pity, not out of some moral obligation, but because He has infinite love for us. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life, or eternal life. You know what eternal life is? Jesus gave us the definition. 
John 17, 3. On that fateful night, he was praying to the Father in front of his disciples. And he asked that they might have eternal life. And then he stopped and he explained to his Father what eternal life was. Which I thought was weird. Turns out he wasn't explaining it to him, he was explaining it to us. For us. This is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the meaning of eternal life. All of you in search of yourself, meaning of life. There it is. Get to know God. And then you'll enter into the beautiful plan that He has for your life, which is way, way so much better than anything we can imagine or hope for or try to achieve in our own strength. Believe me. I tried. (laughs) That's why I'm thankful just to be able to stand here before you today. Although I feel every week just as unworthy as the week before. And then he reminds me it's not based on my goodness, but on his grace. He loves, what's that, what's that say there? He loves even those who have gone astray, apparently. That's why Jesus said. Jesus said, I only say and do what I heard and saw my father do. That if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with power and with the Holy Ghost, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Obviously, the same thing the Father would have done or did do. They're the same. Luke 15 7 says, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be. More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous person who need no repentance. The synoptic gospels, all, a lot of them, they say the same thing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and many, many occasions. You'll find a few things, each of them uh, independent of the others, but they sort of go together. You know God likes you? I'm not going to leave this alone. Do you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> Ephesians 5.2 makes me think he does. Be imitators of God, therefore, as beloved children. You know, the first three chapters of Ephesians telling us what we have in God. What he has accomplished on our behalf. The last three chapters are telling us what to do because of that and how to do it based on that. Amen? Yes. So he's given us some instructions here, but it's all based on the fact that God loves us and has given us all things and gave us his only son as a payment for our sins. But be imitators of God, therefore, as beloved children, beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us as a fragrant, sacrificial offering to God. If you'll just always remember and make it a foundational belief that God loves you and has your picture in his wallet. And there's nothing he will not do for you. There's nothing he'll withhold from you. No good thing. Now, I have to qualify that because everything we call good isn't God. And if you're going to believe for something that wasn't paid for by the atonement, then it's not grace, you see. But as far as forgiveness and love and inclusion in the kingdom of God and healing and prosperity, peace, love and joy... Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things are part of your inheritance. You need to believe it. But do you? (laughs) 
if you'll always remember that, no matter what happens, that God loves you, it'll keep you in faith. It'll prop up your faith, folks. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Wait a minute, I thought you said he liked me and he loved me already. He does. In context of the entire Bible, what he's saying there is, he's, well, any of you have children or nieces and nephews, or if they do things that are not good for them, do you hate them for it? <laughs> Without faith, it's impossible to please God because you know what pleases God? For us to receive from Him. Because everything He has for us is good. Everything the world has for us, everything Satan has for us, because make no mistake, this world is run by Satan and his army. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. Taught on it weeks and weeks and weeks. To help you to see the truth of the spiritual realities. Because you're in a war, folks. And denying the fact that you're in the war just makes sure that you're going to lose. Wouldn't you rather be prepared? Wouldn't you rather know the tactics of your enemy? The devices and plans of your enemy? Because believe me, when I found out that all the things I blamed God for were really the devil... And he was laughing at me the whole time for joining basically his army and fighting for him when he was the one really out to kill me and and, and had done all the stealing and killing and destroying in my life prior to then. I found that out. I was mad at the devil. That's why you were given anger, folks. To get mad at the devil. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. If you really believe. The things I'm telling you. You'll get mad at the devil. That's why I speak out against certain doctrines and teachings and denominational things. Not because I'm against any person. I love them all. And I I love the ones that are teaching them wrongly that are doing it because they're deceived. Now, if there's anyone doing it on purpose, then I would be against that person until they repented. (laughs) But I don't want people to be taught things that are hurtful to them or to the kingdom of God. Jesus is my boss. And I'm sent here to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ to help populate the kingdom of God and vacate hell if I can. And the truth is, God loves you. And there's nothing He will withhold. Can I tell you this? Our thoughts... You know, we've been talking about spirit, soul, and body for months, whether y'all know it or not. (laughs) Been talking about the fact that you've already got it for months, whether you know it or not. We've been talking about the fact that God loves you for months, whether you remember it or not. Just because I spend all week and then all day and night on Saturday trying to hear God clearly to make sure I don't just preach the whole Bible because that's that's why I sit before him not to think of something to say but to narrow it down <laughs> to say what he wants to say on that particular day and I'm spending my life like that and then sometimes I go Lord I don't think in all these years anyone could really tell me a sermon that I preached But it's going in, right? And he's like, right. When's the last time you thought, what did I say? It's one of my, I'm going to get a shirt made on it. When's the last time you stopped and thought about what you're thinking about? 
I thought that was clever. I, I say that. Because I want you to think about what you're thinking about. Why? Because it's important, isn't it? This Proverbs 23, 7, it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your life is going to go the predominant way of your thinking. And most of us have stinking thinking. The world provides stinking thinking. Garbage in, garbage out. And the world is filled with garbage. But we can't move out of the world. So we have to renew our minds according to the only real truth there is, which is this Bible right here. This is Jesus without eyeballs, I say. It's really probably the biggest challenge for us as believers is controlling our thought life. But it's one of the most important. Because the battle is in the soulless realm. The personality, the mind, the will, and the emotion. So the battlefield is right here between your ears. And let me share this with you. You can't stop negative thinking or thoughts by trying. I need y'all to hear this. You have to replace them. Yes. Look back toward the back of the Bible. At the end of Paul's letters, all the five T's in a row, and then there's a one-page Philemon, and then you find Hebrews. And if you will look in Hebrews, chapter 11, I'll try to use the Bible to make this point a little more clearly. Hebrews chapter 11, you're talking about, this is the great faith chapter, talking about all the people of faith that got their names in this great hall of faith, we call it. But you get down to about the 15th verse, and he's talking about the fact that Abraham had listened to God, and he had left his homeland where he was probably pretty well off and pretty comfortable and had all his family there and the security of, you know, being home in his homeland. And he listened to God who told him to pick up and leave. And he'd tell him where to go. And God began to become a friend of Abraham, and he began to share some things with him. And asked, guess what? Abraham believed him. <laughs> Smart man. And it says here, in the 15th verse, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they, they would have had opportunity to return. I want you to think about that. What, what, what made God so mad at the Israelites out in the desert? A couple of week crossing of the desert or a few days or whatever it should have took. To ended up taking 40 years to go round and round that mountain. Their unbelief. Their negative thinking. They're complaining about God. Their lack of trust in God. But it said here that if, if Abraham and them would have been mindful of where they come back. In other words, the first time they come to a hardship, which was probably every day on that journey, they would have said, man, hey, any of you been thinking about heading back? <laughs> You know, we tried it, but we hit a bunch of snags. But it said they weren't even mindful of that. 
he had gotten so excited about the things that God had been sharing with him that he did something else. In verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So they were right. It was the right choice. It was the right decision. It was the right thought process. They didn't think about where they were going. Because God had instilled hope in their minds and hearts of a better place. An eternal place. A heavenly place. A land flowing with milk and honey. And all they saw was sand every day. But they still believed God. You know they died without ever having seen that? And God says, good for you. You died in faith. Still believing me. And now Abraham's offspring are as numerous as the grains of sand in the seashore. They desired a better country. They had a better vision. They had replaced the thoughts of their old life with the thoughts and dreams of their new life. I always beg of you, never let your memories be greater than your dreams. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. God has great things in store for you. But do you believe it? Abraham found something better to think about than what he left behind. A better country he desired. God has given you a new life in Christ. Do you know that? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I heard that, and I liked what I heard. But God didn't fix everything right away. And I got disappointed. And I asked the preacher, what's going on, man? What's going on here? He said, well... (laughs) You know, you ever had a skunk under your house? (laughs) No. (laughs) I didn't say no. I knew what he meant. I'm like, well, okay. He goes, you know how you got a skunk under your house sometimes? (laughs) And he's an old country boy. (laughs) I'm thinking, where did you live, dude? He says, you got to go in there and you got to get that skunk out. He goes, but the smell... From that skunk, keep coming back from time to time. I got that. I understood. He said, listen, man, you opened a lot of doors for the devil in your life. I said, every single one I could. He said, it's going to take a little time to undo all the things that you've done. It's not God. But there are repercussions in this world. And God is working to work all those things now. That the devil meant for evil to work them all for the good. And he will. He's weaving a beautiful tapestry and it will all come together. You just stick with God. You keep believing God loves you. You keep believing God has a plan for your life. You stay with God and watch what He's going to do. Well, the next day I went to work with my wife. We owned a play, uh, We had a business out in Tomball at the time. We went to work. We weren't talking very much back then. (laughs) 
We went to the grocery store after work, Kroger's. I grabbed a shopping cart, and she went on ahead, and I was pushing the shopping cart. And I had a, I got into the back row where I saw her, and we was walking down by the meat aisle there. My phone rang, and it was my stepfather. He and, he and my mom were both alive at the time. Now they're both gone, but he was laughing. And uh, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know that the Lord had really gotten hold of me. And everything was different now. But he's laughing. He says, hey, how you doing? He says, uh, your mama wants to know how your skunks are doing. I hadn't talked to them in weeks. I said, what? He said, yeah, your mama wants to know how your skunk's doing. See, she had a dream last night. You were a little boy. You were pushing a grocery cart. You had a skunk in there, a pet skunk. And so she wants to know how your skunk is doing. I said, Tell her that skunk is dead and gone. Huh? Tell her that skunk is dead and gone. Uh, okay, I'll talk to you later. You see what God did? To show me he was involved. And how funny and how fun he is and how cool and how he was spoiling me a little bit in that new relationship to let me know, yeah, it's real. You're new. It's over. Stay on the course, son. I got you. I got you. Man, that made me strong for a while. And then I started doubting again. Cry out to the Lord. I ain't praying in tongues. That ain't from God. That ain't, uh-uh. that ain't cool and that ain't God. A few days later, I was. And I was at the end of myself again. God still wasn't fixing everything fast enough for me. I was pulled over in my truck in a Home Depot parking lot. And just complaining and crying to God and tears running down my face and I was praying in the spirit and just crying and and I heard him laughing. Not kidding. I heard I heard Jesus laughing. And then I heard him say that I was his child and that he was well pleased. And that he loved me. And you would think, because Jesus said it's more blessed for them who have not seen and yet believe that I would get over myself and stop asking him to spoil me like that. But it didn't stop there. It went on for a while. <laughs> if you read my book, you see a few of the things in there. But he's real. He loves you. He died for you. There's nothing He won't do for you. But He's asking you today, and I know He's been telling me, He says it's, it's unbelief. It's unbelief. The big issue is unbelief. And I remember in those early days, if you look... In Philippians, right after Ephesians, most of you like Ephesians. Philippians chapter 4, because my wife, she won't mind me saying, 
I wasn't the only one that was kind of screwed up. <laughs> she she might have been a little bit too. And this this preacher's wife was ministering to her, and uh, you know, just like we do in the normal, we call people that we want to complain to, and we want them to agree with us. This woman surprised her because she didn't. If it didn't line up with the Word of God, she'd stop her right there in her tracks and turn her back to Jesus. Wait a minute. What's the Word say? And she turned her to Philippians 4, 8. And she said, this is what you need. And it helped Tavana very much. It's not a one-time deal, mind you, though. We could still all use it. Philippians 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. God would be unjust to tell us to fix our thoughts if we didn't have the ability to do it. You're going to be thinking about something all day. You say, well, man, I'm not... uh, I'm not like one of you uh, rich preachers that uh, live in mansions and sit around and play harp all day. Well, me neither. (laughs) Maybe someday. But, yeah, I'm not limiting God. But, I found that even in the midst of my work, I can still worry and think about all of my negative situations and circumstances if I want to all day long in the midst of my work. you believe that? So if I can do that, I can also think about those things that are excellent and praiseworthy and lovely and beautiful. I can think about the promises of God. Because there's about 8,000 of them in this book. And it says that every one of them is yes and amen for me in Christ Jesus. So yeah, those things will try to come against me. Because the devil, his teeth have been pulled. He has no more power and authority over you. You know what power he has over you? What you give him. You're the one with the authority. God is a creative being and He created you in His, in his image. Yes. And He wants you to help Him to continue creating a beautiful life and future for yourself with your thoughts and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you are speaking your future every day. Yes. But do you believe that? The spiritual realm is more real than the one that we see. And it's just as dependent upon seed as the world in which we live. You think about that. And all of this word is in seed form. It's like I'm sitting up here spitting watermelon seeds everywhere. Except it's not watermelons. It's the truth. It's life. It's liberty. It's peace. It's salvation, it's love, and joy, and provision, and health. But you've got to take the seed into good ground. You have to protect it. The Bible says immediately the devil comes to steal what? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but immediately he's going to come for this word. It's the word he's after. He doesn't want you to have this because this is the power of God unto salvation. 
to set you free and set you at liberty. And listen, man, it is so good to be free. You know what he'll help you to be free of, first of all? You. Oh, my God. How do you think I ever got up here with a hand that wouldn't even work? Well, it was before all of you basically were here, and I was in a different place, and there might be a couple people show up for church, but I still brought my guitar because I didn't have a praise and worship team. Because the one I had before that tried to destroy God's church. I said, I'll do it myself. And then I remembered, oh yeah. You don't, you can't play or sing. I said, well, I'll make an effort until somebody shows up that can. And I've never let any of that get in the way anyway. <laughs> Mark chapter 8, and I'll, I'll finish. I know that uh, I know that we've covered some good ground here today. So, But Mark chapter 8, and verses, uh, I'm going to try not to even turn there. Verse 22 uh, through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him to Jesus. So Jesus and his disciples rolled into Bethsaida, and they brought Jesus a blind man. Okay? And they begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes... And laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not enter the village. Do not even enter the village. Don't go back into that town. First of all, you'd say, oh wow. He shows up and these people all rush to him and they bring in this guy, this blind man, and beg him to touch him. Wow, what a bunch of faith-filled believers. No, no. These people, were there's like they would want to see a magic act, really. They had heard about him. This was the most, one of the most ungodly places. Jesus cursed this town. It was a totally evil and corrupt town. Like Gomorrah and Sodom. Okay? So Jesus leads him out of the town. And then he prayed again. What, what, wait a minute. This is Jesus. What? He didn't work the first time? It worked. But what, he was fighting something here. He was fighting, this, he was fighting unbelief. This town was full of wickedness. Of doubt and unbelief. And you know, even though I, I might have mountain moving faith, I could come into a place like this and I could pray for each one of you individually. I could pray, I could preach on the Ten Commandments. Probably won't ever do. And I could come and I pray for each one of you and Maybe somebody would get healed. Maybe. I could come in here and preach on healing. And a lot more of you would get healed if I came and prayed for you. I could bring somebody in here, like my friend Andrew, or one of the pickets, or... 
One of the people that I know that have seen lots of people, or Todd White, that have seen lots of people raised from the dead, blind eyes open, people throw down their crutches and jump out of their wheelchairs, and let them minister and then pray, and 90% of all the illnesses in here would be gone. Amen. Do they have a greater measure of faith than I do? They don't have a greater measure of faith than you do. It's like going through the chow line in the military. The measure. The measure. Everyone's been given the measure. Some of it is like a muscle. Some of you may have a stronger measure. You strengthen it. Spiritual things are just like our natural bodies. You know, muscles have to be exercised and used to be strengthened. But see, I can create an atmosphere of faith in this room for healing and it would cause a lot more of you to receive because it would drive away more of your unbelief and doubt, you see? That's the way it works. It really is. And you have to know where people are at when you minister to them. That's why I ask questions usually... I need to know what they're thinking. I need to know what they believe. There's a spiritual tug of war going on with faith and unbelief or doubt. If I can get somebody, I'd rather just get you in neutral. Get you out of reverse, pulling against me. Just get you in neutral. I'll use my faith and get you over the line. But I'm telling you right now, you can't just walk up to somebody who's brand new to the Lord, who's got ailments, and they just walk in and they're just putting their toe in the water, so to speak, and say, hey, you've already got it. Believe it. They're not going to get healed. And they're probably going to leave there thinking, you're nuts. Lay the proper groundwork. He took him out of there. He took him out of that evil place. Sometimes we have to get away from all the doubt and unbelief in our lives. Sometimes that means people. Jesus, you've seen it a lot of times. He run people out. Everybody... One time he went to raise somebody from the dead and there were people, there were paid mourners there. They used to pay people to come and wail and cry when somebody died. He ran them all off. Get out of here. He only kept Peter, James, and John with him. Closed everybody else out and then he raised them from the dead. Why? He didn't want all that doubt and unbelief. I've... I've seen meetings where where someone was being prayed for for their sight and uh, they were going to continue to pray until that, that eye was restored and uh, they, the minister just said we're going to keep on everybody here who doesn't believe that this is real or that it can happen or that God has done this I want you to leave and then they continued to pray and pray and pray, and then it didn't happen. And then, and finally, somebody got a word of knowledge that, hey, this person doesn't need a healing; they need a miracle. He said, and somebody jumped up and said, hey, God said they don't need a healing; healing they need a miracle. And the same thing that he's been telling the minister. And God, and he said, hey, and he asked the guy, he said, what? Tell me about your eye. And he goes, well, when I was a kid, I had surgery, and they removed the lens and the. They removed some parts of his eye that you need to see. So that don't need to be healed. It's in the trash can somewhere. He needed a miracle. And so they began to believe and pray for a miracle, and boom, there it came. But do you believe that? It's true. God is good. And I need you to believe it. Jesus went to his own hometown 
And he said he couldn't do many, he couldn't do any great works there. He only laid his hands on a few sick people and they were healed. He wanted, it means he wanted to do a lot more, but he couldn't do it. You know why? Familiarity breeds contempt. Because at first they were blown away by his teaching and everything they had heard about him. And then they went, then somebody goes, hey, wait, isn't this the carpenter's son? And isn't this his mother and his sisters with us? And we know him. Wait a minute. It was all over. And he he was amazed by that. He left there and went elsewhere to minister. And it says he was amazed by that. It was in the King James. It says he marveled. It only says twice in the whole Bible that Jesus marveled. Once he marveled at the unbelief in his own hometown. The other time, he marveled at the great faith of a Roman centurion who said, who Jesus said, I'll go to your house and pray for your servant. He said, man, you don't even have to go. I, I understand what authority is. You speak the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus was marveled. He said, wow, that is great faith. And guess what? He was healed. Sometimes people came and said, hey, if you'll come and pray for this person, Jesus said, okay, I'll go. And then he went and prayed. That time, the person said, you don't even need to go. Just say the word and pray. Another time, one said, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. And she was. He met them at their level of faith every time. We have a part to play. We need to get rid of doubt and unbelief. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And doubt and unbelief comes from that lying loser, the devil, and from this world that he controls. You've got to separate yourself unto God. At least learn. We used to say you can get so full of the truth that you won't be able to stand a lie anymore. You know, I used to... I used to spend my nights out in the bar room. I almost started saying something. Liquor was the only love I know. That was me. I don't go to those places anymore. I'm not judging anybody. And do what if you're gonna get fixed, needs fixing, he'll fix you. I could go to those places. Now for a time, it would have been dangerous for me, maybe. Although with me, God really, really did a work in me. But I don't recommend somebody to go right back to what God just brought them out of. You see what I'm saying? And Paul even ministered to this. He said, careful. You know, you might get it on you, basically. (laughs) People said, well, Jesus went right amongst them. Well, see, I can do that too. I don't go sit in the bars with my friends because I'm bored to death if I do. I don't drink. I don't smoke anymore. The songs drive me crazy because they all glorify the devil and death of some form. And I mean, it may not bother you. You might still be able to enjoy that stuff. I just can't. I've gotten so full of the truth that I can't stand the lie. And I'm like, all those seeds are going in people's ears and it's taking root and bearing fruit. Next thing you know, it's all me. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't mean to go there. <laughs> Second Corinthians 10.5 said, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Amen. That's what I want you to make your goal. Just realize that when you get a thought, and it doesn't line up with the peace, love, and joy, and power, and provision of God that He has provided for you, you have... The potential, the ability, and the assignment really from God to take that thought captive and run it off. And replace it with the truth of God's word regarding the things that he said about you. Which are all good, by the way. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And then he said something else. He said, then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. We have a part to play. Ain't he entitled to that? Maybe do a little more seeking. 
a little more time with the Lord and realize that He's not just waiting there to get you. He's just waiting there to love on you. Matthew 7, 8. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, it will be opened. Our part, His part. We do our part, He's faithful to do His part. Every time, folks. He loves you. How many of you believe it? Praise God. Father, we thank You that You love us so much. We thank You for Your precious Word. We thank You for Your truth. We thank You for Your promises and provision and protection and guidance. We thank You that You have provided Your Holy Spirit to lead us all the way. To come right alongside us. Take hold together with everything we face in this life. And lead us all the way through this life to our destination with our Heavenly Bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Thank You, Lord, for loving us so much. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Amen.